Alright, hello everyone, and welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and as usual, thank you. Thank you so very much for listening. February is almost over. I hate this month. So much. So much. Uh, I... Not to delve too deeply into my personal history and life, because, well, you don't care, but uh, most of the bad things in my life that have, uh, not most of the bad things, of the worst things in my life that have happened, the majority of them have taken place between, like, November, March-ish, somewhere in that range. So, getting out of that stretch of months is uh, always a nice win. It's almost over. And boy, did March, did March, boy, did February go out with a whimper, yeah? Uh, We will be reviewing tonight UFC on ESPN Plus 78. That's a card that happened. We might talk a little Bellator, um, because Bellator had an event, and there was, there's something about Bellator at the moment that I think does deserve uh, some discussion. But what we're mostly here for, what you're, I'm assuming, looking forward to the most, next Saturday, a mere six days away, give or take, UFC 285, the return of John Jones, will be fighting at heavyweight against Cyril Ghosn for the vacant UFC heavyweight title. John has been talking about moving to heavyweight for, I, I checked this, a decade. He first said, I'm going to move up to heavyweight in 2013. So, that finally happens, assuming nothing crazy happens between now and Saturday. And until they're actually in the cage, something crazy can happen. So we will preview that card. It's a pretty darn good card, actually, top to bottom. Like, It's solid. It's very, very solid. So we will preview all of that. All right. If you would, please like, comment, subscribe. You know the drill there. If you've done any of all of that, or whatever your podcast platform of choice happens to be, star rating, written review, anything that's applicable, please do so. If you're giving a, Again, if you're giving a star rating, I'm not a one-star show here. I don't know if I'm five. I'm not one. That's all I, that's all I ask. Not a one-star review. Better than that. I've heard some one-star shows. I'm better than that. So... Uh, if you've done any and all of that, sharing. Tell people in your personal life, on your social media platform of choice, however that happens to work, point them in my direction. Let me try to entertain, educate, pass the time as you are stuck in traffic, or keep you company during a boring work day, whatever it happens to be. I'm happy to do any and all of that. And if you have enemies that you would like to annoy and you think I would annoy them and you think they'll actually listen, I'm good with that. I will be annoying for you on your behalf. Uh, So if you're a new listener, I hope whoever pointed you in my direction is not your enemy. Um, But if you do find me annoying enough to continue listening, said I'm not a proud man, I will take it. All right, that's all out of the way, so let's jump into this, shall we? Last night, UFC on ESPN plus 40, excuse me, 40, 78. Um, We lost a couple of fights. Uh, during the weigh-ins, we lost, uh, what was it? Uh, Haley Cowan and Eileen Perez, that was canceled. There was some kind of illness. 
Um, did I preview Garrett Armfield and jo uh, Jose Johnson? I might have. I'm not sure. Um, the big thing that we lost, and this was announced after the prelims, so opening the terrestrial broadcast, it's announced that we lost the main event. Nikita Krylov and Ryan Spann off. Krylov came down with some kind of, they call it a foodborne illness. Uh, and just couldn't compete. I mean, heaven no look, I've had food poisoning, so I'm not saying this was food poisoning in the traditional sense. But I've had food poisoning. That's the sickest I've ever been in my entire life. Uh, I couldn't keep down water. Right? Like, I would try to drink water, and 10, 20 minutes later, I'm in the bathroom vomiting. Um... I was real close to going to the hospital, actually, now that I think, as I recall. Like, that went on for, oh, a few days. I want to say three. Um, and I, I was real close to, again, going to the hospital to get, like, some IVs for fluids that wouldn't make me vomit. Um, it was it was not great. So if he had something like that, like, yeah, you can't fight like that. Uh, unfortunate for him and Span. Unfortunate for the card, by and large. So, yeah, uh, Brendan Allen and Andre, uh, excuse me, Andre Muniz got bumped to the main event. So let's talk about that for a second. Brendan Allen defeats Andre Muniz via, uh, excuse me, via submission, rear naked choke, three, uh, 425 to the third. Interesting fight here. On the feet, kind of even. Uh, both men had some success. On the ground, it was all about who was on top. Um, in the second round, Muniz, uh, Muniz hits a takedown, but gets reversed kind of on the way down, and Allen gets on top, and Muniz can't get up. Um, yeah, it wasn't great. Second round, similar thing. No, sorry. Second round, Muniz throws a body kick, and he's southpaw. He landed a few good body kicks, so some nice inside leg kicks. They both land in those. Um, he lands this body kick, but it's partially caught by Allen, who transitions into this elevated, high, you know, big high crotch lift. Takedown into side control. Gets the back fairly quickly. Uh, gets the choke. Has to work on adjusting it to get it to tighten up, but he does. Really good win for Brandon Allen. Um... Muniz, this is his first loss in the UFC. I picked Muniz to win this, so eat a little crow here. Yeah, it is. Um, he had a long winning streak. He has some, he has some quality wins. Um, watching this fight, however, he's a really good... His back work is really good. And I think his top game is probably pretty solid. But bigger heavy, bigger jujitsu guys especially, especially in MMA, it's largely about who's on top. And I'm not saying his guard is crap. I'm sure it's not crap. He didn't really have a lot to offer Allen off of his back. And he got past pretty pretty easily. 
and we're not even talking like real slick passing game from Allen. Like Muniz just kind of wasn't working his guard properly at times and just, nope, passed right over. So there's that. I mean, I've been high on Brendan Allen for a while. Um, I said I didn't pick him here. But his only losses in the UFC are to Sean Strickland and Chris Curtis. He's now on a four-fight winning streak. He should be ranked after this. He should have been, he should have been ranked coming into this. But for some reason, Darren Till still merits a top 15 middleweight berth, despite having like one win at that weight class, and that's over Kelvin Gastelum like year, two or three years ago. How long ago was that actually? I'm gonna. Look that up, because it's kind of a thing. I mean, he should be out by the time... Yeah, 2019, November, so... A little over three years ago. That's his only win at middleweight, and he's still top 15. Again, he should not be by the time this is over. Allen probably could have taken that 15th spot coming into this. I think he was number... I think... Um, Till was like 14 or 15. I forget which one. Uh, but, yeah. Muni... I think I had a little bit of a discussion. Not a discussion, but there's a thing on uh, Twitter. Uh, Kaposa, you know, Grabaka Hitman. was like... He mentioned, like, you know, Muniz has done some really good stuff. Why is he not fighting a ranked guy? And I responded, you know, I, something to the effect of, I bet money most of the people ranked above him aren't answering the phone to fight him. And for some reason, people with reading comprehension issues <laughs> on Twitter, which is, say, a lot of them, like, wait, you're saying Alan's trash? No. Like, the question was, why is Muniz fighting Alan? and not someone ranked. Uh, Muniz was ranked number 11 coming into this. My supposition, no one ranked 10 or above was really accepting a fight with him because it's a dangerous proposition. Uh, instead, he winds up fighting Allen. And you know what? Credit to Muniz. A lot of guys, when they once they get a ranking, don't want to fight unranked guys. And it's for somewhat understandable reasons. Look, we can... And I have and I will again in the future dunk on the stupid... Like, the people who make the UFC's rankings and the nuances of that system are kind of a joke. But the rankings do matter. They're, it's not like the strictest of contender cues, but they do matter. And once you get one, you really don't want to lose it. And Muniz, I don't know if he's going to drop out of the top 15, but he's going to take a hit. So, you know, that, the, the larger setup for uh, how this is done, like, yeah, it's not great. Um, after the fight, Allen said he would like to have a rematch with either Sean Strickland or Chris Curtis. Al alternatively, uh, he mentioned Dracus Duplessis or... Who's my guy? Jack Hermanson. You know, those all seem reasonable to me. Um, I don't know that I'd like his chances in a rematch with either Curtis or Strickland. Not saying he couldn't win. Like I said, I've I kind of been I've been very respectful of Allen's talent for a while. 
Though, not saying, you're not saying he couldn't, but... Strickland in particular seems like a real bad style matchup for him. And... He's somewhat ditto Curtis. Again, it's it's not that they're that he's a bad fighter. It's just like, how do you match up with these guys? I wouldn't... I'm probably most interested of those... Assuming those are the four options presented personally... I would be most interested to see him fight Jack Hermanson. Um, Dracus Duplessis, he just beat Till and he's fighting. Got a pretty notable. F- Isn't he fighting a 285? Yeah, he's fighting Derek Brunson. I. If he wins that. Okay. If Dracus wins that. I, I'm not very interested in him fighting Allen. If he loses, on the other hand, that's different. So if he loses to Derek Brunson, then Duplessis and and Allen, I think, becomes a bit more interesting. Hermanson right now, I think, is a very interesting fight against kind of how they match up. That's the one that intrigues me the most. So take that for whatever it's worth. Uh, for Muniz, yeah, it's a setback. Um... We'll see if he rebounds or not. His jujitsu game is very good. I mean, dude, like, broke Jacare's arm. Like, you don't do that by accident. But, like a lot of very good jujitsu guys, his takedown game is not great, and he needs to work on it. And I think his guard game, for MMA specifically, might need a little bit of work. Like, if you're not working right away, or if you don't find a quick opening, you better know how to get up to your feet quickly. And I think that's kind of where he fell apart a little bit in this one. So things to work on. He's still young. He's still got a very bright upside. He's still got a good skill set. And he's only 33. 1990. So he's got time to make some adjustments, but he doesn't have... There's no need to panic, but you better fix these holes if you want to make a serious run. Like, middleweight's not the best division in the world. In fact, you could argue the UFC's in particular. Like, it's not great. But there's plenty of guys who could kind of replicate what Allen did here, and that would be a problem for you. So, uh, Yeah, that's where we are. Um, that was your main event. Yeah, it kind of got bumped up there at the last minute. Not a terrible fight at all. Speaking of terrible fights, however, Augusto Sakai defeats Dante Mays via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. This was a very Augusto Sakai fight. Land a couple of punches, maybe a flurry, get a clinch, work from there for long periods of time, rinse and repeat, win the fight. He landed a couple of nice calf kicks early that he kind of got away from. Like, he landed a few in the first... Only a couple in the second. I don't think he landed any in the third. I'd have to, I'd have to double check. But off the top of my head... Um, well, let me bring up the stats here, just... Um, why can I not find... 
I mean, uh, again, the, the fight wasn't great. Yeah, Sakai landed, again, only f he landed 15% of his total striking, uh, of his targeting was done to the leg, which is a, not unusual. I'm more... I'd be more interested to see the breakdown of targeting round by round, which I don't have here at the moment. Uh, but, again, I, he landed quite a few in the first. Uh, he actually dropped Maze with a calf kick in the... I believe it was the first round he got. He got him down with one. Um, yeah, yeah, here it is. Uh, he threw... He landed five of five leg kicks in the first, three of three in the second, and then none in the third. Like It was a weird thing to get away from. Because it was doing some pretty decent work for him. Um, Sakai needed the win. Uh, like, I'm not going to bag on the guy too much. The fight wasn't great. Kind of sucked. But Sakai was on like a five-fight losing streak. Now, his level of opposition somewhat mitigated that, but he needed a win. Was he five or four? Four, sorry. Four-fight winning streak. Or losing streak, rather. All of them finishes... Um, again, it was Overeem, Rosenstroik, Tuivasa, and Spivak, so, you know. Overeem in 2020 was still kind of a, still a guy kind of flirting with the top of the division. Rosenstroik was about to make sort of his, was kind of in the middle of his sort of run. Ditto Tuivasa, and Spivak is currently in the ascendancy, so. You know, uh, again, like, it happens. And... I don't know too many people who would go 0 and 5, who would, you know, go undefeated against that stretch of four guys. It's a short list of people that I think would. But, and that, the even off fight, he got a split decision win in 2020 that I think I, I believe I thought he lost. I have to double check, but. Um, yeah, his first win since 2020. Like, he got emotional after the fight. And I don't blame the guy. Like, that guy's been through it. And he was probably in a lose-and-go-home kind of scenario here, so. Uh, decent enough win. Dante Mays. Eh, what do you want me to say? He's 2-3-1 and one in the UFC. I mean, lost his debut to Cyril Gone, you know. And I'll talk more about Ghana in a little bit. Lost to Rodrigo Nascimento after that. That wasn't great. Um, I don't know. I mean, he's just kind of filling out the roster at this point. He came in on a contender series contract. I don't really know. Which is something like either 10 and 10 or 12 and 12. I don't really know if he'll stick around. Like, he might get one more we say one more, like one more contract, but uh, he's got a, like, he's in the very unfortunate position of being very replaceable right now, and that's just a bad spot to be in for a fighter. At women's flyweight, Tatiana Suarez defeated Montana De La Rosa via guillotine choke, 251 of the second. Um... Close-ish first round. I still gave it to Suarez, but 
De La Rosa did a pretty decent job of stuffing a lot of her takedowns and stopping her from really doing a lot of work from top position when she once she got there. Um, second round, the Suarez had just kind of chipped away enough, forced a few scrambles, um, got a started showing off her front headlock series, and it's really good. Then was able to catch the arm in guillotine. Again, had to do some adjusting to finally get it, but got it. After the fight, she said she you know, wants to go back to straw weight. Which is probably for the best. Um, look, I'm not... She did not pick up exactly where she left off for a variety of reasons. One being just time off. I mean, this was her second fight in like four years. She had the one fight in 19, and then this one here. So, and depending on when that fight was in 18. So, you know, one fight in four years, like, you, it's, it's understandable there's a degree of ring rust there. Uh, there's also... A lot of what she does is... I, I don't mean to imply with what I'm about to say that she's not very technically sound. Because she is. But there's a very physical component to what Suarez does. Again, it's not that there's no technique there. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying... She struggled a bit against Montana De La Rosa here in ways that... Are explained largely via the physical... Like, like the raw physicality. And I think she is at her best when she's able to be the physically bigger, stronger fighter. So until the weight cut becomes prohibitive, I think 115 is probably her ideal weight class. Uh, but this was a good win for her, a good return to form. Uh, she said after the fact, like, I want to fight Rose Namajunas. Um... Uh, yeah, go for it. Like, If she's able to stay healthy, she's got a skill set that is very difficult for a lot of the women uh, at 115 or 125 to deal with. Again, I, I think at the moment she's probably better at 115 because there's... she Her style of fighting just is better when she's physically larger than her opponent. And it it didn't stop her here from being very successful. I mean, she won the first round, got the finish, but I at the moment it does kind of feel like 115 is probably best, and we just you know look at potentially coming back up to 125 at some point in the future if she's able to uh, maybe put on some muscle mass for it. Uh, to try and you know, replicate some of that disparity that she has, because she's a big 115er. Like she, she's a fairly big straw weight, and you complement that physical advantage with her, her cardio, her wrestling pedigree. Like that—that's what makes the whole thing work. And if she doesn't quite have the same physical advantages, it's just the whole thing doesn't quite harmonize the same way. If that makes any sense so but very nice to have her back and i would not want to be 
a not want to be a strawweight in her path. Uh, welterweight Mike Malott defeated uh, Johan Lanus via arm triangle. One, excuse me, four fifteen of the first. Um, solid win from Malott. Um, really nice finish actually. If you look up the, you can find like the clips online of the the arm triangle. Really nice arm triangle. Um, Malott's a solid fighter, so. Nice to see him pick up a win. Might be one of those guys at welterweight you pay attention to. On the prelims, Trevor Peak with just the funniest technique in the world for his striking. I mean, this guy out here just throwing these windmill hammer fists half the time. And I've pra- uh, you know I've practiced my hammer fists, and I'm of the opinion they are a somewhat underutilized weapon in a lot of respects. But, man, like, his, I saw the funny, uh, I saw a tweet about this, like, his coach is standing behind him looking like they actually did anything. Like, he fought, I don't mean to, like, you get guys that fight like jackasses, this wasn't that, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna demean him in that respect. But, there's very little refinement to what he does like nothing here is really dialed in it's just kind of he goes out there and he goes hard and this is just an example uh, this is an example of a truism about fighting especially at certain levels if you have good power and peak has good power and a pretty good chin he got like he and Gonzalez went at it, but if you've got good power and a pretty good chin and a willingness to pursue the fight, you will be successful. At exactly what level? Uh, that kind of depends on when you run into your first guy who's really, really is kind of dialed in. Like, but there's a there's a ceiling on this style of fighting. There's a very clear ceiling. And most fighters who fight like this, when they run into it, they get hurt badly. But on the way to that point, you'll find a lot of success. And frankly, if you've if you've got power, a chin, an ability to get up, and he does. Um, he got taken down a few different times and was able to regain his feet. If you've got that... Like, a lot of the other stuff, technically, we can... Like, that can be ironed out. Like, those are kind of the things that, like, you can teach people to maximize power, but some of it is just, it's just God-given. Like, there's no explanation for it. I mean, you could kind of figure it out if you really wanted to dial down into their physiology and whatnot, but it's just, it's one of those things that, like, you've got it or you don't, kind of. Uh, I mean, there's like the size of your hand that goes into it. There's your bone density. There's length of your arm can kind of play a role sometimes. Like there's a bunch of stuff that you just have no control over. And if you've got power and you've got a willingness to get into a fight, you know, gameness uh, is one of the is one of the terms for it. I just you know, which I think that comes from dog fighting. Which is one of the most like disgusting things in the world, but it it it, cu- it is like pursuit of the fight no matter the cost, right? If you've got that, 
Like, we can figure the rest of this out if you're willing to learn, you know, so. Uh, he is, this is the kind of fighter that Dana White loves. It's, it's big in its motion. It's sloppy. It's action-packed. This is, again, this is the kind of stuff that he, that Dana really gravitates towards. He likes putting these kind of, these kinds of fighters on your screen. Because it makes for, it can make for enjoyable fights, so. I don't know what his ceiling will be. Um, he's got a lot of stuff to really kind of dial down on, because he's, if the UFC likes him, and they seem to, he'll get a few more fights like this. A few more fights against guys with, you know, middling to losing UFC records. But eventually, especially at lightweight, you're going to fight someone who's good. And someone who's going to punish each and everything you do wrong. And that's a, again, when when fighters like this hit that ceiling, it goes bad in a hurry. So, you got time and you've got a, you've got quite a few qualities that, can work to your advantage. Let's drill down on the stuff that's going to keep you from getting hurt. Uh, let's see. At flyweight, women's flyweight, Jasmine Jazdavisius defeated Gabriela Fernandez via unanimous decision, 30-26 across the boards. I only went 30-27, but a 10-8 second round is entirely justified. Um, Fernandez, pretty fast on the feet, good power. But not the best at stopping takedowns and not at all able to get out from under Jez Devisius. So, I guess how that went. Uh, lightweight, Jordan Levitt defeated Victor Martinez via TKO, knees and punches, uh, 227 to the first. Nice win for Levitt here. He kind of, he said after the fact, that's my first, you know, actual TKO. He knocked, he knocked out Matt Wyman with a slam, but this is, this is his first, I believe. A straight up striking related finish. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, he looked okay here. He's still got some issues at distance. His head position and lack of head movement is still kind of a problem. Um, Martinez was able to land on him a little bit, but his clinch game seems to have improved a lot. Uh, he was able to find more offense from there than before. Finish comes from, again, just kind of a standard double-collar tie, you know, the, the plum. And a couple of knees to the body, bring down the guard, knee comes up to the head, badly hurts him. Solid win for Levitt. Very solid win for Levitt. Who is apparently still getting a mountain of abuse from all the Patty Pimblett fans from, you know, from their fight. Um, he apparently got... He mentioned that anyone who gets as drunk as some of the fans were for their fight by 8 p.m. is kind of a degenerate. Um, he's, you may not want to hear this, people, uh, but he's right. I mean, I don't drink at all for a variety of reasons. But if you're getting hammered by 8, um, you may have a problem. <laughs> So, it's solid enough win for Levitt. Uh, we had a catch weight of 130 uh, because Charles Johnson took this fight on short notice. Um, Ode Osborne and Charles Johnson, these two fought to a split decision, 29-28. Uh, Osborne comes out on top. Decent enough little fight. Um, 
Charles Johnson has some really good wall walking. Uh, I mean, really good. He wasn't quite as active offensively as he needed to be here. Uh, which was ultimately, I think, kind of the determining factor. He just, at long range, was kind of getting outkicked by Osborne. Um, fun, decent enough little fight. I'm not complaining about it. Uh, lightweight, Joe Selecki defeated Carl Deaton III via technical submission, rear naked choke, 455 of the second. Selecki just got him down in the first, couldn't quite finish him, but got his back for almost the entire round. Second round, got him down, got his back, got things... A lot of the first one was in the backpack instead of his back on the mat, so... Second round, gets his back. Um, starts attacking, Deaton winds up trying to base out, gets to his knees. But when you do that, you have to, you have to post to keep from being tipped forward because of the weight. Gets you down on all fours, basically, and if all four of your limbs are accounted for, especially your hands, you can't really defend the choke. And that's kind of where Selecki got it, so. Selecki's pretty good. Uh, he's what... With the UFC since 19, he has only got one loss. It was a split decision. Um, he's what? Three, he's five and one. Uh, lightweight's a hard division to really make headway in, but he's on his way. And kicking everything off, also at lightweight, Nerulo Aliyev became a little bit of history. I mentioned it last week. The first. A uh, fighter from Tajikistan to make their way to the UFC. So, good for him. And he had a, apparently kind of some monster watch party going on. They showed it on the broadcast of people in Tajikistan staying up to like 3 in the morning to watch this fight. Um, he beats Rafael, excuse me, Rafael Alves via majority decision. 229-27s, 128-28. Aliyev was deducted a, a point in the first round after biting Alves on the finger. Um, there was some kind of pushing around the mouth. Um, Alves was on the bottom. And he was kind of grabbing around that area. Might have just stuck his finger in there. A little bit of fish hooking, maybe. And got bit. And the referee talked briefly with the commission official. They paused the action as Alves complains about it. The commission official comes up, talks to the ref, and says, we don't have clear video evidence one way or the other. The ref says, I can see the teeth marks in his finger. I'm taking a point. Uh, takes the point. You could, so that's where the 28-28 might come into play. You could have given Alves, what was it? Um, was it the third? I forget. There was one of the rounds that was kind of close. So forgive me. Um, close enough that it was in play, but ultimately I don't mind to leave winning, um, smothering top game, just absolutely smothering, not the most damage, which kind of became a problem down the stretch here in this fight. Like, yeah, it was the third because Aliyev got hit with a pretty nasty knee in that round. Uh, and then, he again, he had takedowns. He had a mountain of top control. Just time to start figuring out more efficient ways to get some damage and 
to get some damage in during that time period. So, uh, but again, decent enough debut for a leave. Uh, fair bit of there was a fair bit of like dirty fighting going on up and down this card. You, you had to leave with the biting. I think he got away with a fence grab at one point. Uh, then Dante May is just like grabbing shorts, grabbing the fence. Um, yeah, there was a uh, there was a fair bit of it. So that was it. That was the card. Uh, there was no fight of the night bonus awarded, which is fine. I think if you were gonna give one, you know, Peak and Gonzalez. It ended like 4.59 of the first. It was a pretty wild first round. Maybe that's the one you could have gone. But instead, the UFC did something they did, they've done on occasion. And as this is a reminder, they could afford to do this every time. They gave performance bonuses to everyone who got a finish. So Brandon Allen, Tatiana Suarez, Mike Malott, Trevor Peak, Jordan Levitt, and Joe Selecki. All got uh, bonuses. Again... They could afford to do this every time. They choose not to. So, it wasn't great. It really wasn't great, but that was the card. My full report is in the MMAZona411mania.com if you are so inclined. Uh, give that a read. You can find clips of most of the finishes. Uh, right, before we move on, let's talk a little bit about Bellator. Because Bellator had an event. Um, you Double check the number here because Bellator's uh, 291. This was one of their other, um, they were in Dublin, Ireland, uh, which they like to do on occasion because the atmosphere is so great, depending on who you listen to. And... <laughs> I mean, hilariously, because um, they do this for a couple of the, like, if you want to be disingenuous, there's a lot of the SBG Ireland fighters that are in Bellator, and what's it, I saw Jack Slack, okay, so I'm not going to talk about Conor McG like some of the rumors that are coming out about this season of The Ultimate Fighter that's filming at the moment with uh, Conor McGregor and Michael Chandler as coaches, but one of the things that came out and this is somewhat disputed, but was that Connor looked at the cast because the gimmick for the season is apparently half the show, half the cast is the fighters are going to be uh, former UFC fighters trying to get back into the promotion, and then a bunch of newbies, guys who have never been in the UFC. I shouldn't say newbies. And anyway, there's word kind of came out that a bunch of fighters who had been told they were on the cast got to Vegas, were ready to start you know, go into the house and start filming. And we're then told, no, sorry, Connor has a bunch of his guys that you want, that he wants to bring in. And which one should not be surprising, but two, the joke became like, careful about how many SBGI Ireland uh, fighters you get in the same, on this tough season, you might just turn it into a Bellator card. It's, I, I found amusing. Um, anyway, one of the guys they do this for is Peter Queeley. Uh, who everyone and their dog goes on and on about, oh, he's, his walkouts lead to the best atmosphere in combat sports. He comes out to zombie by the cranberries, uh, which is an Irish, uh, you know, band, pretty sure at least. But like, so do a bunch of people. 
And now the Irish just love that. And eh, it's he got stopped in the second round by a guy who was like winless in Bellator. <laughs> that to that point, hilarious. Um, the big the big thing I want to talk about briefly here related to Bellator. In your main event, coming off of a couple of year layoff, um, because he was fighting in Ukraine, he's Ukrainian. Um, the Bellator welterweight champion Yaroslav Amosov. He blanked Logan Storley, winning a unanimous decision 50-45 on all three scorecards. Uh, a heck of a performance out of Amosov, who, again, with that layoff, you weren't quite sure. And Storley's kind of a beast. Now, he shut Storley down every step of the way. Impressive as heck. And here's the only thing I want to say about Bellator at the moment. Um, well, I mean, if you want to get into Amosov real fast, this is going to go into my point. Amosov is undefeated 27-0. and 0. Uh, Been in with Bellator since 2018. And he's got some good wins. Again, now he's beaten Storley twice, absolutely blanked out Douglas Lima. Uh, got, a, got an impressive win over Ed Ruth when Ed Ruth was kind of still kind of on the come up. Uh, between Amosov at welterweight, Johnny Eblen at middleweight, and Eblen, his last couple of fights, I mean, he again utterly blanked out Gegard Mousasi. Mousasi did the same to Anatoly Tokov. Uh, he's been with Bellator since 2019. Most of his, all but four of his professional fights actually have been with Bellator. And Vadim Nemkov who is their light heavyweight champion. I mean, again, Nemkov is 16-2 and two with one no contest overall coming off of that win over Corey Anderson. He hasn't lost since he fought since 2016. Um, his only two losses. Um, his first loss ever in his seventh professional fight, he fought Yuri Prohachka. <laughs> again, this was 15, so it's not like Yuri was some grizzled veteran at that point. In fact... How long had he been going at that point? Good old Yiri. Um, okay. Yiri's had a lot of fights. That was Yiri's what? Um, 19th professional fight? But still, like... And then after that, he lost a fight, a split decision... This was still this was uh, still in Ryzen to Carl Albertson, who is not in a great space. Uh, he fights in Bellator at the moment too, but again, since then undefeated. Only had that weird no contest with Anderson before beating him in the. They had a no contest in the finale of their their Grand Prix, and then he beat him in the rematch pretty cleanly. But there's an argument to be made. That Bellator has the best light heavyweight, middleweight, and welterweight. They have the best fighters in each of those divisions right now. I'm not sure I'm fully on board with that. Just let me be clear. Welterweight in particular, like, I don't know that Yaroslav Amosov is the best welterweight in the world. That might still be Kamaru Usman. we got to wait for Usman and Edwards to have their rematch. Uh... There's, there's other players to muddy the waters here. 
but you could make the argument, especially off of how good this performance was, you could absolutely argue that Johnny Eblen is the best middleweight in the world. Again, I'm not sure I'd agree. I think he would give, if we're talking particular matchups, I think he gives Michelle Pereira problems because he is a dogged wrestler. I think he might give Adesanya problems. I, I might favor Adesanya more than I would Pereira just against Eblen. And I'm not, I would not pick him to beat Robert Whitaker. But, again, you could make that argument. And when it comes to Nemkov, I think absent Yuri Prohachka, who, I mean, hopefully he gets healed up soon, but you could actually quite easily make the case that Vadim Nemkov is the best light heavyweight fighter in the world right now. And I don't, I don't think I'd argue with you too much. I mean, I'm not bashing on Jamal Hill here. He won that belt, and he earned it. But between Prohachka still kind of lingering, between uh, let me look at the rankings real fast. Because, I mean, look. 205 is not a great division. Let's, you know, no one's in the, no one's denying that. But okay, but so between Prochka, Ankalaev, Blahovic, and Rakic, uh, I mean, we still got to see how Rakic looks when he comes back from injury. You know, ditto Prochka, but Ankalaev, I think, would give Vadim, would give Nemkov some problems. Maybe ditto Blahovic. Like, it's, it's questionable. And I would absolutely pick Nemkov over pretty much everyone else in that division. If we look at the top 15 right now, again, you got Hill. I actually think I would pick Nemkov over Hill. I... Sounds like I'm... Again, that sounds like I'm just bashing on Jamal Hill, and I'm not. Uh, I think that's a bad style matchup for him. I would pick Prochka to beat Nemkov again. On Kaliev, I'd have to think about. Blahovic another one I'd really have to think about. Rakic, I might favor Nemkov at the moment until I see what Rakic looks like coming back after the knee injury. I would pick Nemkov over Smith, Krylov, Walker, Uzdemir, Span, Craig, Reyes, this version of Reyes at least, Crute, Roundtree, Jacoby, and Mirzakhanov. Yeah, I'd pick Nemkov over all of them. So 5 through 15, I would pick Nemkov over without too much hesitation. Maybe over the fourth guy. And then, so we're only talking about like the top four guys in that division in the UFC that I would really have to think about. And again, I might go back and forth on the Hill one if I thought about it. But you, if you make the argument to me that Vadim Nemkov is the best light heavyweight in the world, I don't think, you can easily support that case. Easily. So... All I wanted to say there about Bellator's event. All right, let's move on again. All righty. This is what we're all here for. UFC 285. Main event. John Jones versus Cyril Gaon for the vacant UFC heavyweight title. After 10 years, John finally makes the move to heavyweight. Again, he started mentioning that in 2013. And finally goes through with it. John has not fought since uh, the 
unanimous decision win over Dominic Reyes. Disputed. Very close fight. Um, not fought since that. That was February of 2020. So he is over three years on the shelf. Uh, before that, of course, the split decision to Tiago Santos that I thought he won. The Reyes one is the only one that I kind of thought he maybe should have lost. Like, I scored that fight for John in real time. Not sure that was entirely correct. I, I, did, I don't see the case for Santos all that well, in all honesty. He beat the crap out of Anthony Smith. Um, then he had the two-point deduction for that illegal knee. I mean, he still won the fight, but he was he did a number on Anthony Smith. Um, he beat the crap out of Gustafson in their rematch. I mean, he just smoked him. He knocked out Daniel Cormier. That's officially at the moment still listed as a no contest. I'm going to... USADA has come out and done the, well, the science has changed kind of stuff. There's a lot... Any, let me put it like this. You robbed a lot of fighters. This is not about John. All right? Let me be clear about what I'm about to say. Um, this is not just about John Jones. Y'all screwed a lot of fighters. Uh, I mean, you sort of unintentionally ran Tom Lawler out of the sport. And he became a pretty good professional wrestler, actually. The bare minimum you can do now, and what you should do, is go back to any fighter whose past failure would no longer meet the threshold of failure now and change the... If you had a no contest, change it back to a win. This is not just John and Daniel Cormier. Right? I, this is not just about John. This is any fighter who got who got screwed this way. Any of them. The bare minimum you could do is if you're saying the current science is better and what you used to do is no longer valid, you need to invalidate your like you need to invalidate your ruling. That's John, that's again, Tom Lawler, that's you know, uh, Nick Diaz got kind of railroaded at one point. Like there's a lot of fighters who have been screwed over this way. This is not just about John Jones, who I'm not going to pretend is a sympathetic figure. Like, I'm not up. I'm not weeping for John. But if I'm going to talk about this as it relates to John, let's, because he's a pretty big figure to touch the, to use to talk about this. This should apply to everyone. Go back. Anyone whose past failures would no longer qualify as a failure change if you change the outcome of any of those fights to a no contest restore the original outcome this is the bare minimum you can do Ugh. i don't want to get into a usada rant i mean john's maybe the best that's ever done it he's the best he has turned in the best i've ever seen live i mean not in live in person but like watching live just watching john jones that's the best He's on his... Dude, he's still only got the one loss on his record that was a DQ for illegal elbows. And he bludgeoned Matt Hamill into oblivion. But, John is... 35. 
Well, it's not the oldest for a heavyweight in particular. However, um, he's been fighting for a long time. I mean, he debuted professionally in 2008. He had a lot of, you know, training and wrestling before that. He's got 28 total fights. And he's getting up there. And the three-year layoff's a big deal. And he's fighting Cyril Gaon. And it's a little bit unfortunate that it's gone, not because I think the fight sucks, but because, and I'm not knocking gone here, if you were to order, who do you want to see John Jones fight for the heavyweight title in his, fin- in his move up to the division right now? The order, I think, of interest goes Francis Ngannou, for obvious reasons, Stipe Miocic, and then Cyril Gaon. And I, I think that's just, again, that's kind of where the interest lies. I would actually favor John. I think John would beat Stipe. I would pick John to beat Stipe Miocic. Like, that's not, even off the layoff, even off of all that, that is a stylistic matchup that I think just favors John Jones all day. Gaon is not quite the same. Look, Gaon only has the one loss, that decision to Francis Ngannou. He rebounded nicely, beating Tai Tuivasa. Uh, he moves very well. He's got five-round cardio. He's got a lot of long-range weapons. He's got some short-range weapons, too. People forget this. He's actually pretty good at finding elbows in the clinch. He's a Gaon is a massive man. I mean, John Jones is not a small guy. Uh, Gon is listed as 6'5". He might be closer to 6'6", would be my hunch. And he's just a... He's a massive human being. And John, 6'4". John's got the reach. John famously has that 84.5-inch reach, which is nuts. Uh, Gon's is 81. So John's not going to quite have the same length advantage that he usually does that extends to the legs actually john looks to have lost a bit of speed at heavyweight if you've seen some of his training videos now some of that's to be expected you bulk up a little bit some of the speed diminishes gone isn't the biggest hitter in the world and that might play to john's favor here gone is an accurate striker, but his punches aren't the heaviest. Like, he can still hurt you. I mean, he's a big guy, and he's very strong, so he can still hurt you, but he's not, you know, there are guys who can turn your lights out with, like, the breeze of their punches. Gon's not that. He's accurate. He does have power, but he's pretty quick for a heavyweight, and he moves very well. John very well might have seen some of the wrestling that Francis Ngannou did and got, and went, I can kind of replicate this. And maybe he can. But John's... Like, since, I think, 2016 or so, might even be around then, a lot of John's offensive potency has declined. Not saying all of it, but his takedown accuracy before that was much higher than it is after that 
he still has some finishes that he's found. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying he's not a threat in that respect, but there's, there was a shift. If you watched John Jones come up, and I did, he was an offensive wrecking machine who would find ways wherever he was to hurt you. And he's not that guy anymore. Well, he hasn't been for a while. He's become a lot more calculated, a lot more. His defense is maybe the best in some of the best in the sport. He's very hard to hit. He's almost he's much harder to hit clean. But he doesn't quite score the way that he used to. And that might be a problem against God. Um, so that bears watching. If this were, like I said, if this were Miocic, I would pick John. If this were Nganu, I would actually pick Nganu. Which is what I, yeah, I would. I would. Given the layoff, I would. Against Gon, this becomes really, this is really a dicey pick. Jones is, he's still got maybe the best fight IQ in the sport. Like, that guy just doesn't make bad decisions in the cage. And his the lack of offensive potency gives me some pause. And honestly, the three years is really... Like, that's kind of the big thing here. That's really slow in my role. Um, I haven't picked against John Jones ever. Since I have been making official predictions in one capacity or another, I don't think I have ever picked against John Jones. And I think I'm going to hear. The layoff is a big deal. Three years is a long time. Now, maybe he comes out rejuvenated. Maybe he comes out and he is more offensive-minded. And he's able to find some of that old fervor. But... I think gone, put it this way, the best version of John Jones, I would pick here. I would. Like, if you find the best version of him, whatever you happen to think that is, he, that version of John would beat Cyril gone. I'm fairly confident in that. But we're not dealing with the best version of John. We're dealing with the 2023 version of John. And with all the question marks... I think I have to lean gone. I might look real stupid next week when I'm on the show going, I should never have picked against John Jones and I should have known better. I'm not saying he can't win this fight. He can. But if I have to, what do I think is most likely? That layoff is just, it's a big deal. And he, he did not look great. In the fights with Santos and Rezing. And I thought he won the Santos fight. Um, and I did score the other one for him in real time. I'm not... But he did not look, you know... Didn't look like he used to. And for a guy who I... If, again, if you're like me and you remember what this guy did on his way up, on his ascendancy at the beginning of his title reign, it was... It was special. There's no other way to phrase it. Like, he demolished guys in creative ways. And then he became more cerebral. And for a while, that was even scarier. 
he was just he was the end boss of all end bosses like it didn't seem to matter what you did didn't matter what you could bring to the table he'd find a way to take it away from you and then destroy you and that again the best of john can't would i would favor him to beat gone I don't know that we're getting the best of John Jones here, so leaning towards gone just a hair. Might feel very stupid. Have to wait and see. Alright, co main event for the women's flyweight title, Valentina Shevchenko defends against Alexa Grosso. Shevchenko kinda got away with one against Tyler Santos. Um that could have easily gone the other way. Now, whether that was just an off night for her versus uh, combined with Santos having a really good night, who knows? Uh, she's still, isn't she still undefeated? Um, yeah, she's still undefeated at flyweight, is Shevchenko. Her loss, she had the cut loss, uh, the cut stoppage loss to Liz Carmouche. That was at bantamweight. Then the two losses to Amanda Nunes, and that's it. Santos showed a few elements of Shevchenko's game where you could maybe start finding stuff that you hadn't quite seen before. Uh, so the problem for Alexa Grasso is she's not the same kind of fighter as Tyler Santos. Grasso's very Grasso's good. Like I've I watched a lot of her early Invicta stuff. Like I've I've been paying attention to this woman for a while. Unfortunately, there's a couple of things that work against her here. Um, her striking is mostly boxing. And it's not that she's bad at it. She's pretty good. But there's a range disparity there that is that doesn't quite favor her. That makes that makes things really complicated actually. Uh, if she's trying to fight at range, like she's got to navigate out inside of Valentina's kicking distance before she can get into boxing range. And that's tough. And it's even tougher when, like a lot of boxers, she, uh, Grasso, will probe with leg kicks to try and, you know, keep doing something, get a little momentum going, I mean physical momentum, and Shevchenko kind of wants you to do that because a lot of her game is standing just at the edge of kicking range, letting you throw something and then countering you with something really hard. And she kind of tore apart Joanna with that when they fought. Like, that was a lot of what she did there. Um, when she was... She didn't tear apart Nunes in the same way with it, but that was a lot of the distance and a lot of the same reaction that was giving Amanda Nunes problems was, okay... I'll bait you into throwing something, and I land three counters. And maybe they're not the strongest counters in the world, but uh, this is their second fight in particular I'm talking about. Shevchenko is... I think the problem, the, the real problem Grosso's going to run into, if she gets inside kicking range into boxing range, she's not the best at avoiding clinches. And Shevchenko is very strong physically and has a very good clinch. If they get clinched up, Grasso's takedown defense isn't great. It's not the worst thing in the world, but it's not great. And Shevchenko on top 
gives you problems. And she's very good about finding ways to damage you from there. Now, there will, uh, again, Shevchenko's going to lose at some point. She almost lost to Tyler Santos. She might struggle with, Aaron Blanchfield might be the one. She really might. But as far as Grosso goes as a stylistic matchup, I I need a real convincing reason if I'm going to pick against Valentina Shevchenko. And I respect Grosso's abilities, but I don't I don't think she provides me with a concrete reason to pick her to upset Shevchenko. So uh, Valentina probably retains uh, somewhat, I'd say per usual, but you know, somewhat per usual. So that's where that is. Next up, welterweights. Very much looking forward to this one. Um, Shavkat Rachmanov and Jeff Neal. Oof. This is, this is a good one, folks. Uh, this fight was supposed to happen a little bit ago. It wound up getting rebooked. Uh, I am very, very excited for this one. In fact, uh, in terms of in-cage action, this might be the most intriguing fight on the card for me. Jeff Neal's a very good fighter, and it's unfortunate he had a string of... He had a couple of losses that really seemed to kind of derail him a little bit. When he came into the UFC, beats Brian Camozzi, Frank Camacho, Bilal Muhammad. That it. That win has aged incredibly well. I'm not sure I'd... I think if they rematched it might go Muhammad's way this time. But then again, it might be a style thing. Nico Price, Mike Perry. He's on this good run. And then he runs into Steven Thompson for five rounds. It's just a terrible stylistic matchup. Unfortunately, it gets worse when he fights Neil Magny. Loses another decision and doesn't look especially good. Beats Santiago Ponzinibbio by split decision. I do seem to recall thinking he won that. And then finally kind of gets back to form when he knocks out Vicente Luque in August of last year. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, that might have as much to do with Luque starting to slip as anything else. Um... And then again, like, it's not like Luke fell off a cliff. He fought below Muhammad and lost. Eh. Luke, though, man. Like, I don't know. Um, he, the point being, like, this is not an easy fight. Now, I am absolutely a Shavkat Rachmanov believer. In fact, I am picking him here. Uh, he is on, he's undefeated, 16-0. His win over Neil Magny was real good. Um, I mean, he came in and beat Alex Oliveira, beat Michelle Pizzeres, beat Carlton Harris, Carlston, excuse me, and then Neil Magny. Um, he's the real deal. He's absolutely the real deal. Neil being a southpaw, Neil's got heavy hands and some, some, some sneaky kicks. Got a sneaky good kicking game. I just... I think Rachmanov's a bit too good everywhere. And he makes real good decisions, minute to minute. He's good about finding ways to finish you. Uh, like I said, 
this is not an easy fight, and a lot of people are going to be really sleeping on Jeff Neal here in ways they shouldn't. But I do feel okay picking Rachmanov to win, but this could be a heck of a fight. All right, lightweight. Um, Jalen Turner was supposed to fight Dan Hooker. Now there's a hand injury to Hooker in steps Mateusz Gamrot. Either of these was going to be a tough fight for Turner. Now, Turner's looked good lately. But, it's an important but, his current win streak is five and is over Josh Kulabau, Brock Weaver, Ursus Medic, Jamie Malarkey, and Brad Riddell. Uh, the Riddell win in particular, pretty darn impressive. Both Dan Hooker and Mateusz Gamrot represent a significant step up in competition from anyone he's fought thus far. I think in all of the UFC, right? Yeah. He debuted on short notice against Vicente Luque up at welterweight and you know, didn't go his way. But at lightweight, easily the best fighter he's ever fought. Gamrot is coming off of that loss to Benil Dariush. It's actually a darn good fight. It's a really good fight, actually. Uh, he had that crazy scramble fest with Armand Saryukian before that. It was a win. Um, I'm not going to be surprised if Turner finds a way to win this. But I need a reason to pick against Gamrod against this level of competition. And, again, not saying Turner can't win, but if you want me to make a prediction about what I think is going to happen... Um, Gamrot might have to deal with some issues, but I think his wrestling and his grappling acumen is going to be too much. Then at middleweight, Bo Nickel, who's, what is he, as far as, how many, um, he won the under-23 world championships in 2019 in freestyle wrestling. He is a three-time NCAA Division I national champion. The other, the fourth one there, by the way, was a silver medal. That was 16. Who did he lose to in that? Double-check this. He lost that year to Miles Martin. But every year since, he's been... That was actually that was also 174. Whereas 17 and 18 were both 184, and then 19 was 197. Um... Yeah, I, I watched a few of these, and Bo Nickel is, he is a hoss. Uh, he won one of these with a seriously banged up knee, if memory serves. I might be misremembering, but uh, he is, he is a remarkable wrestler, and he has moved... He didn't qualify for the Olympics because he moved up to try and... Uh, he wound up in the same weight class as, I believe, Kyle Snyder. Uh, 
And that just didn't quite go his way. Uh, then, yeah, he had another one where he... Who did he lose to? I don't know, to him in the other... Because they had the weird one around, like, 2020. Um, he fought, he wrestled... Uh, yeah, David Taylor. Unfortunate. He's <laughs> <Is> Dave Taylor. <laughs> Oof. Um, yeah, Taylor went on to win the gold that year. <laughs> uh, in that way, class. Um, but he moved on to MMA. He very quickly won his regional scene. He then had two contender series fights, both of which ended first one in a minute and two seconds, the other one in 52 seconds. And it just seemed a little bit like it's always unfortunate when you have to learn on the job like this in the UFC. It's a very, very short list of people who come into the UFC with this few fights and really excel. But he's good. He brings a really great physicality and He's fighting a guy who is, what, two and three in the UFC? Two and four. With losses to Tafan Chukwi, Jordan Wright, Kyle Dawkins, and Dennis Tolulin. Um, Pickett's been around for a while. What's his overall record? He's at 21 fights. He's 13 and eight. But this is this is kind of a fight that Bo Nickel should win. Um, Nickel main uh, kicking off a pay-per-view card in his UFC debut should tell you how highly they think of him. So that's your main card. As for the prelims, I promise we're going to pick this up. We're going to go in for a while. Bantamweight Cody Garbrandt in dire need of a win against Trevin Jones. Garbrandt is one and five in his last six. Um, that one being the knockout over Rafael Asensal, but, you know, the two losses to TJ Dillashaw, then the loss to Pedro Munoz, then Rob Font, he tried flyweight and Kaikara France pretty much beat the brakes off of him. He's back at bantamweight. Yeah, he badly needs this one. And it's a little bit of a setup, a little bit. Trevin Jones is on a three-fight losing streak. Now, in fairness to Trevin Jones, he fought, in order, Saeed Yukub Kakramanov, Javid Basharat, and Hani Barcelos. Those are some talented people. Um, he has wins over... Uh, his win over Mario Bautista, he technically beat Timur Valiev in his UFC debut that got overturned due to a drug test that should not have been an issue. In fact, go back and give him his win back, please. But this is kind of a setup for Garbrandt, and let me put it this way, man. If Garbrandt loses here, he's probably done. He's probably done. Right, uh, middleweight Derek Brunson and Drakus Duplessis. Brunson, what's he been up to? Got knocked out by Jared Cannonier last time. But he had a good winning streak going before that. Was it five? Yeah. 
had one of the worst fights I've ever seen when he beat Elias Theodoru, who sadly passed away. Uh, Ian Heinish, he's the first one to really kind of beat up Edmund Shabazian, beat Kevin Holland, kind of ran over Darren Till. Um, and Mr. Duplessis. I mean, the guy's got a really good overall record. Uh, his last loss was in 2018 when he fought Roberto Soldich. And he and Soldich are 1-1, one and, one, and Soldich is... Uh, current, I think he's still the champion for KSW. I'd have to double check. Uh, but since moving to middleweight, because that was at welterweight. What was the other one? That was middleweight. So he only has one loss at middleweight. He's on, uh, what is it, six overall? Four of those in the UFC? Three of those finishes? Um, this is a, this is a pretty steep test for him, though. His last fight was, was that Uriah Hall? Till, sorry. Darren Till, who he beat with a face crank in the third round. Kind of a face crank, face crank slash rear naked choke thing. He's only gone the distance once in his entire career. That's when he fought Brad Tavares. This is a tough test for him. This is a real tough test. <clears throat> He's a strong guy. He's got power. Brunson's got power. Brunson a little bit quicker. Might be the better wrestler, too. Um, the awkwardness of what Duplessis does is really deceiving. And it throws a lot of guys off. I'm actually going to... I'm going to lean towards Duplessis here. It's probably the upset pick, but... Uh, I don't know. I... I kind of like the guy. Don't know what else to tell you. I got a penchant for, like, there's always two or three fighters that I tend to like that are just kind of weird. It's a little bit awkward, a little bit, little bit outside the box in the way they fight, and I will always find a couple of those guys that I get a bit of a soft spot for. I had one for Keith Jardine back in the day, just to give you an example if you were around back then. So, And Duplessis, I got a little soft spot for the guy, so I'm going to pick him. Might be very wrong. But I don't mind picking that one. If that's my like, if that's my only upset pick from whatever from everything else I've done, I'd have to double check the odds on some of these. But it might be. Um, I'm okay with that. Uh, women's flyweight Viviani Araujo and Amanda Hibos. Uh, Hibos coming off of a loss to Caitlin Chukagian. I uh, got a pretty decent overall UFC record. Araujo. Coming off a loss to Alexa Grasso, also has a loss to Caitlin Chukagian. Um, I don't know. These two fight very similarly. Um, Hibos is not as good on the feet as Araujo. That might be a problem for her, actually. In fact, yeah, I think that's what's going to... I think it, if Hibos struggles to get this to the ground, she's going to be in real trouble. Uh, I'm going to go with Araujo. Middleweights, Julian Marquez and Marc-Andre Barrio. This will be your slugfest of the evening. That's the way these two guys fight. Um, Barrio, been very up and down in the UFC. Started off on a four-fight uh, four winless streak. So that got turned into a no contest, and I think that one would stand under current protocols. Um... Beat Jordan Wright, lost to Chidi and Jaquani. Chidi and Jaquani knocked him the 
back out. Um, yeah, and then uh, Anthony Hernandez choked him out. The thing about Barrio is most when he wins, it's usually he gives up the first two rounds but keeps a high enough pace and enough pressure that he kind of breaks you down and then finds something late. I don't think that's the best way to fight Julian Marquez, who is himself just kind of a head down, come forward, let's get after it. Um, yeah, Marquez coming off of a loss to Gregory Rodriguez, who stopped him. That was a wild fight. I think it only didn't get fight of the night because Cater and Emmett, I think, got it for that event. Yeah, and that's very fair. There's another one where they gave a bonus. To, another instance, guys. They, you gave a bonus to everybody who got to finish that card. Uh, yeah, I'm picking Marquez here. I think these two guys... I don't mean this unkindly. This is one of those fights that if you've ever seen the episode of The Simpsons where they talk about the Simpson gene. And there's a bit near the end when Homer tries to get all the all of his relatives together. And he gets all the Simpson men. And they're all kind of losers. And uh, then the the um, women of the Simpson clan kind of speak up and go, no, we're, you know, we're very successful. The defective Simpson gene is on the Y chromosome. It's a joke. But the 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 joke kind of becomes like so the Simpson women are very successful whereas the Simpson men and then you the kind of pans over the shot and it's two guys with like pots on their heads slowly circling and they charge each other and run into each other like rams I don't mean this unkindly I expect this fight to resemble the two guys with pots on their heads just slamming into each other it's gonna be great uh so I, again I hope you if you're listening like I hope you understand I say that with affection and, and respect. But that's the that's kind of the mental image this fight gets me, as it gives me. So that'll be good. Early prelims, uh, Ian Gary will fight Song Kanan. Wow, Ian Gary finally getting a decent step up after he got a win he probably shouldn't have. Um, Song Kanan's been a bit up and down. Uh, he's been out for a while, too. Yeah, he last fought in March of 21. What the heck kept him out? He's Chinese? Yeah, so not mandatory military service. Uh, the layoff hurts. I'm going to pick Song anyway. Screw it. I don't like Gary. Bantamweight uh, Cameron Simon and Leomana Martinez. Mana boy! Um... Both fought in the UFC before. Let me double check. Um, because I think they've both lost. Simon, I think I think Simon had a decent showing in his UFC debut. As he's South African. He might have won that actually. Yeah, he did. Um, he was down in that fight, too, and had to kind of find something in the third round. Um, that might be a decent little fight. Actually, I'm going to pick Simon there. I can't remember how to pronounce his name, because I know it's not Simon, it's like Sayamon. Um, but I forget, so I'm going to go with Simon until I hear otherwise, so forgive me. Uh, women's Strawway, Jessica Penne and Tabitha Ricci. 
know that I'm in a place where I pick Jessica Penne to win fights. Uh, she got beat by Emily du Emily Ducati her last time out. Before that, she had kind of staged a bit of a comeback. Wins over Lu uh, Lupita Godinez and then Karolina Kovalkiewicz. Uh, Ricci. Her only loss in the UFC, she stepped in on fairly short notice to fight Manon Fior up at flyweight. She's undefeated at strawweight. Ah, uh, sure, let's pick Ricci. I'm not sure about that. And then at bantamweight, Damon Blackshear and Farid Basharat. Um, oh, might be one other one on here. Just a sec. Anyway, um, Blackshear about to a draw in his UFC debut. He was a fair draw, too. Um, Basharat undefeated. Uh, this is his UFC debut coming in off of a contender series when his brother has a couple of fights in the UFC. That would be Javid. I think the UFC likes the Basharat brothers, so I imagine this is a slightly softer touch, so I'll go with Basharat here. Uh, then kicking everything off, allegedly, again, there might be an issue here with this. Um, we have the Argentinian Esteban Rebovskis. Rebovix? Going with Rebovix until I hear how it's actually pronounced. He is undefeated, 11 and 0. Uh, he is fighting Loic. Apologize, I'm going to butcher your name, sir. I apologize. Uh, Loic uh, Rajabov? Raja, yeah, Raja, Rajahobov? Rod, hang on. Rajabov. Rajabov, okay. Until I hear it up, uh, correctly pronounced again, I'm just going to apologize. I know I got that wrong. Um, he is coming in on somewhat short notice. He's replacing Kamuela Kirk. Uh, he has a re he's most known for some time in the PFL where he went 4-4-1. Four, four, uh, coming off of a win not F at Eagle FC. Uh, about a little over a year ago. I wonder what kept him out of action. Um, that's a tough one. Probably Rebovix. Um, again, the UFC tends to do slightly lighter touches with guys coming in off the contender series that they like. Usually the second fight, not so much, but the first one they tend to do a little bit of. Oh, Dana really liked you, so have a... Um... Yeah, this is supposed to be Kirk's. Yeah, yeah, Rubovix. And that is the card as it currently stands. So, Saturday. MMAZone411mania.com. I will be covering that in the MMA Zone, so stop by, say hello, follow along. I always appreciate it. Um, I have news I wanted to touch on. Not really. Let me check. All right. I was going to talk a little bit about like some stuff that came out of the press conference for the last event, but it's really small stuff, and I wound up talking a bit about Connor and the Tough House earlier, so let's just t check Twitter. If nothing crazy has happened, we will do plugs and get out of here. Alright, doesn't look like anything crazy MMA related. I mean, do you really want me to talk about Jake Paul and Tommy Fury? I don't... For the sake of brevity. Uh, Tommy Fury wins a split decision. I was only half watching. From what I saw, could have gone either way. Meh. Don't care. Uh, I, I don't care. Alright. So let's do plugs then, shall we? 
Monday evening, the Dam uh, on a special Monday episode of Damn You Hollywood, we will be reviewing the number two movie in the world, in the, uni uh, the United States. I have to double check where it is worldwide. But the number two movie domestically, Cocaine Bear, and Mark will be thrilled. Uh, last week, myself, not Mark, he had a thing come up at the last minute. Myself, Alexis Haina, Zachary Strobel, and David Wright all got together and reviewed Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Meh, Nia. It's a lot of meh. A lot of meh. And apparently a lot of people agree that thing has seen a horrific drop opening weekend to second weekend of something like 70%. It's awful. It's like catastrophic numbers. Anyway, we'll be reviewing Cocaine Bear this Monday and talk about, you know, the money for the weekend movie-wise. Uh, movie you know what Damn You Hollywood does if you listen to it, and if you don't, well, give it a shot. If you are interested in my thoughts uh, on movie reviews, uh, that's your space to find it. Uh, my usual spate of professional wrestling coverage after that, so AEW's Dark Elevation on Monday. I believe MLW Fusion is coming back this week. Um... I've been saying that for a while. It's going to come back at some point. So be on the lookout for that. That will be Thursdays when that goes live. And WWE SmackDown on Friday. So that's my usual stuff. Be on the lookout for that. That's in the Wrestling and MMA Zones of 4-1-1 Mania, respectively. We'll be back here next week to review UFC 285. And, yeah, we will be previewing UFC on ESPN Plus 79. A decent enough card. Um, yeah, actually, you gotta, you know, I saw someone ask this, I think it was Grabaka Hitman again, somebody at a post-fight presser needs to start trying to figure out why the UFC insists on heavyweight fights on the main card. I mean, the flyweights have not main evented a, an event of any kind. They didn't in 2021. I think like since 2021. Remember, I did that thing a while ago where I went, you know, they had like five uh, events headlined by flyweights in the last like two years or something. Uh, yeah, they have not had one headlined by flyweights in over a, like two years at this point. Uh, but heavyweights. Uh, anyway, main event for this one, Bantamweights, Piotr Jan, Mirab Dwalish, really, heck yes. Also on the main card of Note. Um, Alexander Volkov and Alexander Romanov. Uh, that's not bad. Mahmoud Muradov is back. He's fighting uh, Absupion Magomedov. Uh, I was pretty, I'm pretty high on Muradov. I mean, he had a setback, I think, his last time out, right? He's the first Uzbek fighter. He's lost two in a row. He had the Gerald Mershart loss and then the Kyle Bahalio loss. So he needs to bounce back because he had a long winning streak going before that. Um, then a bantam, a little further down, a bantamweight fight between Saeed Nurmagomedov and Jonathan Martinez. Heck yes. Um, look, it's a pretty solid, dude, on the prelims, you got Rafael Asensio and Davey Grant. That'll be interesting. Full preview next week, but that's a pretty solid fight night. Again, when they have to go someplace where they have to sell tickets, and they do in this case, it's not at the apex. They have to care again, so that's how it goes. All right. That's what we'll be doing next week. I hope to hear, I hope to see you all back here. Hope you'll be hearing from me. Until then, as always, thank you very, very much for listening. Always appreciate you guys. Stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.